This could be the most one-sided fight since 1973 when Ali faced an 80-foot-tall mechanical Joe Frazier. My memory's not what it used to be, but I think the entire Earth was destroyed. going on everyone welcome to episode number 17 of the forbidden technique podcast on the fight side podcast network me your host silas martin my co-host as always christian reynolds and today we're going to be looking forward to this weekend's ufc fight night card in columbus ohio a headline between a heavyweight bout between curtis blades and chris dorcas but who cares uh, in fact for most of this ufc card i think we're going to try and just do some quick hits about the fights that we think are interesting Try to give some quick mentions to the significant matchups, but we're going to be devoting a decent portion of today's episode to the One Championship card on Friday, because that is really where the party's at this weekend. We are the only podcast that covers One Championship, unironically, and this card has got a bunch of both ironically and unironically very good fights on it. So that should be fun. But first, um, Curtis Blades versus Chris Dorcas. Christian, why is Curtis Blades going to win easily? Uh, he's big and does wrestle. And uh, fuck cops. I, I have to kind of curve the copaganda that's going to be being shown on the event production because it's like every ad is just going to be talking about Doc as being a cop. So I'm going to counter that by saying uh, fuck the police and Curtis Blades is going to win by ground and pound knockout in the second. Yeah, it feels that way. Uh, Dorcas has been another one of these guys who's been trying to make his way as the smaller, quicker technician in the heavyweight division. He's had some decent success with it because basically because he's got some hand speed and can put combinations together. And that gives people fits at heavyweight pretty much all the way up to the top five. Um, but Curtis Blades, as you say, is a huge athletic as fuck and are pretty much the most technical offensive wrestler at heavyweight. Has some issues with his top game in terms of what he does when he's able to establish positions and can be quite labor-intensive about just shooting way too many really explosive takedowns for such a big guy and then just wearing himself out on top because, I mean, Curtis Blades has said he literally doesn't train jiu-jitsu. But I don't think that's going to be your problem against Dorcas. I don't think he's even going to be able to be as negative as Volkov was to be able to kind of tire Curtis Blades out and make the later rounds a little dicier. Um, I think it's just going to be a huge physical mismatch where Dorcas is going to get flung through the air and uh, beaten into the ground. Yeah, and uh, to give Dorcas some credit, uh, his hands are pretty good. And he is fast. So that's always going to be difficult for heavyweights. Blades is pretty hittable. I could see Doc is having some success in the feed that leads to a finish, but uh, I'm not picking it. I'm going to say uh, Blades second round. TKO. Yeah. yeah, and he knows what he's doing with his takedown defense. But um, Curse Blades is a pretty huge dividing line when it comes to that at heavyweight. Um, he's, a, he's one of the only guys who can just shoot really well-timed, explosive, reactive takedowns. And I have to think he's going to be outweighing Dorcas by like 30 or 40 pounds in the cage. So our co-main event, Joanne, formerly Calderwood, now. She's lost to Calder, just Joanne Wood now. Uh, she's fighting Alexa Grasso. And Krishna, I want you to take the lead on this one because you were formerly the premier Joanne Calderwood fan. And... You seem to have turned on her somewhat from a couple of her recent performances. So can you give us an assessment of Joanne Calderwood's skill set and just the general development of it and where she's at now? Yeah, uh, her entire game is pretty much just lead leg kicking and working those off of each other off of similar setups. Uh, like she kind of flicks her hips and then it can be a front kick to the body, it can be to the knee, it can be like a flicky high kick. She can do that to load up a 
switch kick with her other leg. You know, like she, but she's like very athletically limited. She's very slow. She doesn't have very good reaction speed. That's probably your biggest athletic disadvantage is that she reacts very slowly to things. Her chin is fine, but it's, it's like nothing spectacular. And she tends to do better in the clinch than she does at range, but her preferred range is, you know, as far away as she can be while still being able to land. She gets crowded pretty easily, but uh, that kind of started getting fixed around whenever she like left Scotland and started training at TriStar, I believe it was. And around then, she regressed in some ways, but improved in others. Her jiu-jitsu clearly got a bit better, but she stopped being as effective with her striking, mostly, I'm assuming, doing the game planning issues. And then once she moved to Syndicate, where she is now... She refined a lot of her game in some ways, but kind of regressed in others. She got more athletic, like just through a better training regimen. She was just doing better strength and conditioning at Syndicate. And then she started to fall off age-wise now. So she's getting slower physically, even though she had made those improvements. So those are kind of failing her now. So what we're left with is a bit of a shell of what used to be a really intricate and interesting fighter. You can still see shades of it. Like she still does her lead leg teeping like she was in her last fight before she got unceremoniously dropped and then RNC'd. But she she just doesn't have uh like the juice in her anymore, I don't think, to be able to maintain it. And she's always had an issue with kind of wearing herself out with her own style because she kicks a lot and she's very slow, so it's like constantly lifting her leg up very slowly is gonna drain you a lot. Uh and Alexa Grasso, on the other hand, is a very agile and young outboxer that has good ability to close range behind kick feints and probably is going to be able to put punches on Joanne Calderwood. Or Joanne Wood, I apologize. Uh, I, I don't really see the grappling coming up much in this fight. Uh, Joanne will go for takedowns if it's like an easy route, but I don't think it's an easy route, and she hasn't been grappling very much actively in her recent fights. She is going to have a, a probably slight size advantage, but they used to both be at 115 anyways, so it's not going to be that pronounced. I think that if Joanne can keep Grosso at the end of her range and get her kicking game off, then she could probably annoy Grosso a good bit and maybe pick up a decision. But I'm going to pick Grasso to just out volume and outpace her over the course of three. Maybe get a finish in the third, but I wouldn't count on it. I'm going to say Alexa Grasso decision round three, or just Alexa Grasso decision. Yeah, so that is the thing that I find interesting about this matchup is that JoJo's problem is often keeping people at her preferred range, and that she gets really uncomfortable against when people can push her back. Uh, because as you say, she has uh, just really slow reactions and are generally not very well-trained just defensive reactions in close range. So, like, she was kind of doing okay getting a lot of volume off with her kicks against Tyler Santos, but it still never really seemed like she was winning because she was always just getting put into positions where Tyler Santos... Uh, could just bop her the fuck up and ended up dropping her a couple times before submitting her. Um, now, Alexa Grasso doesn't really pressure and is just way less uh, physically imposing than someone like Tyler Santos. So I'm like... So, so that makes it interesting to me that Alexa Grasso will spend a lot of time in... JoJo's preferred range and not really try to put her in positions that make her uncomfortable and does a lot of uh, closing range herself off of her kicks and kick feints. So because of that, I can see it being a really close fight. But I just think uh, the speed and mobility difference of Grasso and being able to turn that kicking battle into getting offense off with her hands in a way that I don't think JoJo really will... Um, but, you know, if Alexa Grasso is just content to chill in JoJo's range and JoJo does a good job with just, like, uh, picking off those kicks and can win that kicking battle, which is uh, kind of her most comfortable range, even if it's not where she's most technical, 
could could just be really close. But I agree. I think Alexa, Alexa Grasso by decision. Yeah, I think the most interesting aspect of the matchup is that Grasso doesn't go forward, but if she does go forward, she will be winning. And if she moves backwards, she also will likely be winning. But if she just stays in Joanne's range, which she may, because Joanne's kind of uh, can be tricky to get in on with her intercepting kicks, and her jab isn't like mechanically great, but it's fine. Uh, like she can she can do stuff off of her jab, so I could see the fight getting kind of dicey for Grasso if she can't handle the range. Uh, unlike the Carolina fight, where Carolina was just so insistent on coming forward that she was getting opportunities to jab and check hook all the time. Joanne might not give her those same opportunities. So that's worth mentioning. Joanne definitely is in the fight if she's in good form, of course. But I, I think trajectory-wise, it just makes more sense for Grasso to win this one. Okay, and then we've got what potentially looks like a title eliminator fight in the flyweight division. Uh, Askar Askarov versus Kaikara France. Kaikara France uh, coming off a couple of really good wins where he seems to really be starting to put it together in the UFC after always being clearly a very well-schooled technician coming out of city kickboxing with some uh, physical limitations and uh, trouble working around one of the smallest frames in in men's MMA. But he's uh, always been a very crafty counterpuncher and uh, it's coming off a couple of really nice knockouts against Tajerio Bontarin and uh, Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt on the downswing, of course, but still a meaningful name to have on your resume and Tajerio Bontarin looking pretty good in his wins otherwise recently. And then before that, Kaikara France had an all-time great insane banger with uh, Brandon Royval where he fucked Royval up pretty good on, on the way to just being overwhelmed and submitted by a guy who who that is his game. And then Askar Askarov uh, is just very well-rounded wrestle boxer technician who just keeps quietly winning and nobody cares because <laughs> he's just not winning in particularly emphatic fashion and the guys who do keep end up getting the title fights. But he's just very consistent and keeps getting good wins o- over good guys in the division. You know, he's got good boxing fundamentals and is a solid wrestler and top player. And... um really feels to me as if Karkara France has to get another big knockout in order to win this one just because of, as I say, uh, Askarov's consistency and Karkara France's tendency to give up volume leads against people with committed jabs as well as just being at the grappling disadvantage and having to worry about that. But like I say, he is a very sharp counterpuncher has always had that in his back pocket and seems to be making it work for him more consistently. So, I don't know, what do you think? I could see Askarov uh, winning most of the fight and then kind of getting cracked later on whenever he... Because he, he, Askarov does fade and he's not, you know, the most elusive guy. He's, like, pretty hittable in some regards. Uh, I could see Car France finding moments and maybe winning a decision off of just a few good moments, but... Uh, I, I'm with you on this. I, I feel like Askarov's more likely to just kind of be larger, be able to like win the wrestling battle, and then keep the feet even enough to where he can win a decision. And Kakao France is a decent scrambler, but he is almost entirely defensive in grappling situations, and then and is always trying to work back to a range where Askarov can still probably be pretty competitive with him. And I can see him. I can definitely see him eating some clean cross counters in this fight and maybe getting finished or like you say, maybe uh, just giving up some big moments that that lose rounds for him where he's otherwise winning the minutes. Um, but yeah, it just seems hard for Karkara France to consistently keep a round winning pace of offense against Askarov while, uh, while defending takedowns. Yeah, and... Car France is uh, like a more technically skilled scrambler than he is an actual effective scrambler most of the time. Like he, he can do really like cool tricks that are smart, but they don't work because he's much smaller. And then he'll just the person will just like keep a body lock on him. So I could see the fight being uninteresting for like half of it, and then really interesting for the other half. So that that's an interesting dynamic. Uh, I, I think the. F- Fight's going to be good. Like I'm excited for it, but it it feels 
it just feels a little weird given that I'm I'm pretty sure Figueredo Moreno four just got announced. Did it? I believe so. Okay. Because this should be the clear title eliminator, but it still looks like unless the winner wants to sit out for a while, it could still end up taking a while for them to get a title shot. Well, and then you had Pantoja flowing around there for a little bit, but he lost to Askar Askarov, but did he? So for uh, such a thin division, it really is getting pretty backed up around the title picture at the minute. And then um, Alexi Alonik's fighting Alila Latifi. Um, what is the funniest thing that Alexi Alonik could submit Alila Latifi with? Because Alila Latifi is like just a really passive top game wrestler now at heavyweight. That's like all he does is just take people down and just try and stay in top full guard and win 2011 decisions. Which uh, worked against Tanner Bozer and nearly worked against Derek Lewis. Uh, but it seems like a terrible idea against even uh, the version of Alexia Linux that we have now, who is uh, as old as the mountains... But it's kind of like he's basically as old as he's going to get. It's diminishing returns at this point in terms of how much more shot you you can get physically and still be fighting. But that's heavyweight, baby. So you think you can pull out one more Ezekiel? Uh, I'm thinking he's Olenek is going to go for the great Kali's finisher where you just put one hand on each ear and just squish the person's head. I hope we at least get a forearm choke or something. Yeah, maybe he'll he'll just like grab his forearm real hard and just bend it. It is a weird matchup uh, to be uh, like serious for a moment. It's weird because Olenek's thing is like strength subs and Latifi is an insane strength athlete. So the fight might just be really negative with Olenek being on bottom trying to like do weird scrambles and like sweeps, but poorly because he's really old and his hips are kind of gone. But, you know, he's, he's very skilled at jujitsu and uh, Latifi... If someone's moving around, like he'll, he'll try to maintain position, that could lead to some cool moments. Uh, on the feet, it, it's probably just going to be them tying up a bunch accidentally because uh, neither one is very good at maintaining their range. Um, also, they're both going to get really tired within like two minutes. Yeah, I'm actually very excited for the fight, even though it's it's wacky. I'm I'm sure you are. So, uh, Manon Fioro is fighting Jennifer Meyer. Um, Manon Fioro kind of been looking at like one of the next hopes for women's flyweight uh she's very fast and athletic she's clearly a well-schooled kickboxer was showing some really sneaky setups in her first couple of fights against like totally outmatched competition but totally fair enough people to be fighting in your first couple of fights in the ufc and then it seems like they're just trying to fast track her to contention at this point because jennifer Meyer's only a couple of fights removed from a title shot and uh, this fight is essentially, um, what if Caitlin Chukagian had power? Right? A bit, yeah. And was like less active of a jabber. Yeah, and isn't as long, but is still, I'm sure, going to have a frame advantage that she's going to be able to utilize with her style over Jennifer Meyer. Because Jennifer Meyer is um, just pretty slow and plodding and doesn't have many ideas about how to get into range against people who just kind of want to pick her off with straight long shots from really far away um i was slightly concerned about manon's performance against mara bueno silva where presented with uh, another big strong person who was just going to slowly plot at her not doing that much she kind of just did the same one two three sidekick over and over again and ended up getting kind of fucked up with a couple of body kicks and it was um, it, it it wasn't the kind of um, like well schooled creativity that I thought I had been seeing in some of her earlier performances, um, but I'd still think that's going to work against like uh, pretty much most people in this division. So um, I am going to pick Manon Fioro, uh, maybe by knockout. She can land a good high kick on Jennifer Meyer. Yeah, I can definitely see the Fioro TKO pick or finish pick. Uh, I think. Maya could cause a lot of problems just with experience. That's always a, a factor, especially whenever Maya is the grappler of the matchup. It seems like she might just aggressively pursue a takedown and possibly have some success there. But uh, Fiora's looked serviceable in what grappling we've seen of her, so we don't have any reason to assume that she's bad at grappling. So 
No, and she would and, and she would grapple very aggressively in some of her regional fights. Um, and she's just kind. She's strong as shit. So I kind of don't see it being that much of an issue for her. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a thing to throw out there. But this looks like a matchup that she should win pretty handily and look okay doing. Kind of wish there was like the infrastructure in this division for her to have a bit more uh, development as a prospect before she fights Valentina because she's like one or two fights from a title shot if she wins this. And I think with the, with the right kind of uh, experience and matchmaking, she could be ready to at least make that fight competitive at some point, but I don't think she's there yet. But that's not a knock on her as a prospect because the gap between the champion and number two in this division is an absolute gulf. Yeah, I think I'm going to pick Fioro by decision. Uh, I think if Maya does win, it would be by like a choke in the middle rounds or middle round. Yeah, uh, Neil Magny is fighting Max Griffin. Yeah, it's it's strange because Griffin is, you, you kind of just don't know what you're going to get from him in each fight. He could come in with a pretty good game plan that he's sticks to in a very disciplined way. Or he could come in with an all right game plan, then get kind of fucked up early, and then throw away the game plan in some regards, and just kind of go back to what he knows. Uh, Magni is always going to be difficult for someone around this level, where you know Griffin hasn't fought many people that are six foot four at welterweight. It's it's pretty uncommon to go against it, and Magni's pretty competent in the clinch. So I could see Magni uh, grinding out Griffin in the earlier rounds to like kind of start fucking them up late. Uh, but you know, it's, it's hard to imagine Griffin overcoming this type of matchup at this point in his career. Uh, you would think that if he was younger, he, maybe he could, uh, still get through this matchup, but he's a, more of a finished product at this point, it seems. And Magni of course is also, but he seems to be making like more concerted efforts to improve at stages of, of his career. Uh, Griffin could possibly pose a threat in the grappling just on strength, but Magny's not weak at all. He's just, you know, very lanky. So I could expect the fight to be, uh, like, not necessarily the most interesting, but it'll it'll definitely be skillful. I'm going to pick Magny by decision. Yeah, like you say, um, the kind of performance you get out of Max Griffin does seem to depend massively on how his campers prepared him for the opponent and how that works out in practice because he is he's a pretty good athlete and he is incredibly coachable and I mean that in the good way and the bad way in the way that you can equip him with a few tools that should favor him in a matchup and he's going to be able to just stick to them but if things kind of start going off the rails he's not really able to come up with new ideas during the fight um, but Neil Magny is kind of just like maddeningly consistent and has always just like won the matchups he was going to win and lost the ones that he was definitely going to lose. And in the ones that he wins, he generally just like quietly wins a decision where somebody just follows him around getting jabbed and walking into the clinch because he just like hypnotizes people into clinching with him because he doesn't look strong, but then they tie up with him and he's just got so much leverage because he's nine feet tall and then they just burn stupid amounts of the round. But then in the fights that he loses, he just uh, kind of gets completely wiped out by either basically really dynamic submission threats or like power punching pressure fighters who can low kick. So can Max Griffin do any of that stuff? I don't know, maybe. Probably not. He's probably going to follow him around getting jabbed and walking into the clinch. So I'm going to pick Neil Magny. And then uh, last fight we really want to go into on this card, our fucking boy, all the way from the first episode of this podcast, a guy we were super hype on from his fight and contender series, uh, Vyacheslav Borshev, uh, having won in, from a disgusting body shot KO in his UFC debut. He's now fighting Mark Jacasey. And uh, Mark Jacasey solid action fighter from the UK mostly wants to be a striker but he's pretty well rounded did pretty well just being able to horse people around by being athletic as shit when he was on the UK regional scene but hasn't really panned out for him that much when he's got to the UFC level um, he is somewhat limited just from I think having started training so late in his life and 
neither being quite equipped with the depth to make the adaptations that he needs to in a fight. But he's generally pretty tough and will, will hang in there and try to come up with new ideas, even in losing efforts. And uh, Vyacheslav Borshev seems a lot like a, a slightly softer rerun of the Rafael Fazeev matchup for him in just a well-schooled dynamic kickboxer who can throw like really unpredictable punch and kick combinations, who can, who can get big counters off in the pocket and just has like decent footwork mechanically and a good sense of positioning. Uh, but Borshev is just less athletic than Rafael Fazeev. He's not as quick. He's not as purely explosive and has had more suspect takedown defense. So uh, it's interesting for that reason, but I tend to think uh, Vyacheslav's going to just like clean him out with a huge counter in the pocket at some point. Yeah, Jacasey getting rocked before uh, being finished in his last fight is the... I mean, it, it was by a massive shot, so, you know, that's not really a, a dig at him. But... It, it you know makes you. But think. he was like immortal before. Yeah, it, it makes you think that maybe uh, Borshev could could just clean him out, as you said. Uh, I think it, it there's a possibility. I'm not gonna pick it. I'm gonna pick Borshev, of course. But uh, there's a possibility that this is a bit like too soon for him because Jacasey is a massive step up from anyone we've seen uh, Borshev against in the UFC or before. Oh, definitely. Uh, just athletically, at least, and then also maybe skill set wise as well. At least experience-wise, if not skill set-wise. Definitely. Uh, and Jacasey is very explosive. He finds good shots. Even in the matchups he loses, he does get good offense off. And, you know, Borshev is not unhittable. He, he has good defense, but you can crack him if you really, uh, if you really work at it. Like, if, if you keep going, he'll give you the opportunities to land a shot to try and land his own. Like, in his UFC de- debut... He knocked a guy out by landing a left hook to the body as he eats a right hook to the chin. So if something like that happened, Jukasey might just eat the body hook and then land a really hard right hook. Yeah, like uh, Vyacheslav, he's got a pretty adaptive high guard and just he's good at using his feet to keep distance when he wants to keep out of distance, but he also just fucking loves to bang in the pocket and he's not unhittable when he decides to do that. Yeah, and you brought up the Fazeev comparison and... uh I think the main difference between the two of them, aside from the athletic differences, is Fiziev is very clean whenever he's getting the fight he wants, and Borshev is fucking filthy when he's getting the fight he wants. He fucks you up in weird transitions. He'll like hit people to the body from strange, like strange areas. He'll just dig a body hook randomly and then go back to fight in the hands, then hit you in the body real quick, go back to fight in the hands. His ground and pound is pretty gross. So, like, maybe Jukasey gets hurt, and then uh, Slava Claus starts, like, fucking him up from top, and then maybe Jukasey can sweep him. Like, I could see the fight getting real hairy for either guy real fast. And that's kind of why I'm so excited about it. I'm going to pick Vicious Slava by second round KO, though. Yeah, should, should be a banger, whatever happens. And there's a couple of other matchups that are at least worth a mention, even if we don't have a lot to say about them in terms of, like, analyzing the matchup. But um, David Dvorak's fighting Mateusz Nikolaou. Solid fight in the flyweight division. Uh, Carol Host is fighting. A lot of people think that she is like the the savior of women's bantamweight. She's fighting Sarah McMahon. Uh, Sarah McMahon uh, is maybe the person to derail her. She's very consistent. And that's always difficult in a weight class like that where consistency is just, it just pays off. But uh, that's pretty much all the time that we want to give to this card. So I'll be dropping the meme ad read and then we'll see you guys for one championship. Uh, They unfortunately didn't do a funny title for this one. It's just one X. Remember, if you guys enjoyed this content, all the other stuff the fight got the site does, then consider supporting us on Patreon. 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 You got all the shit you need. MMA, boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu. Whatever the fuck you guys need. High quality analysis from all of your favorite analysts like Ed and Ben and many more. For just $3 a month, you get access to a library of like 200 videos breaking down fights and other stuff. From there, you get a whole list of tiers, including a Discord server full of the chadliest chads on the internet, fucking content requests, scouting reports, instructionals, well, whatever the fuck you guys want. Support on Patreon. Fight side, fight side, fight side. Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Okay, so we're back. We're talking one championship, and there's a whole variety of crazy stuff that we want to get to on this card. First, in the main event, uh, 
Angela Lee defending her atomweight title against Stamp Fairtex. This is a fight between two people who uh, we kind of thought we hated because one championship just promotes them in an incredibly strange way, and it's very off-putting. Uh, but then having watched a good bit of tape for both of them, we think this actually could be a really fun fight. Yeah, Stamp is a much better grappler than you'd be led to believe uh, by the way they talk about her. They act like, oh, she's like just the best Muay Thai fighter. She is a very good Muay Thai fighter, don't get me wrong, but she's like a just just a good MMA fighter. She has a great process on the ground. She keeps herself composed on the feet. She has really like consistent footwork. She gets knees in in really like tricky spots. She can keep people at range very well. Her teeps nice. Yeah, Stamp Fairtex. It's funny because it seemed like her do, her taking MMA fights was kind of just like a novelty thing because she was in one championship and you know, the level of competition was there for her to look good while doing it and competing in all of these different rule sets and being touted as this uh, multi-sport champion. But it turns out she's just kind of like way better as an MMA fighter than she was at Muay Thai. Because uh, being like mid at Muay Thai is a fantastic striking base for MMA, particularly if you're just like as athletic as Stamp is. Like she's just got really solid hips. She's got great balance. She's pretty strong. She's pretty fast. She's really flexible. Um, and all of that has just translated into a surprisingly well-rounded MMA game where she's really hard to take down and really sneaky about getting knees in while doing it and appears to just be like a natural jiu-jitsu player. Yeah, she's very comfortable hunting for a submission in a way that most people with her level of striking depth never really get or even aspire to. Yeah, and as you say, like uh, watching one of her fights, we were kind of joking about the... Uh, Muay Thai fighters don't have footwork thing and we were like oh Stan Fairtex has like pretty good footwork like she's she's constantly taking really small adjustment steps to keep herself at favorable positions and ranges relative to her opponent and be able to maintain stance and move around with her strikes in a way that a lot of MMA fighters just still just kind of can't do she's probably going to get submitted by Angela Lee very good chance of that it it seems like a situation where uh, Lee is like genuinely like a very good grappler and her entire skill set revolves around grappling and she kind of always gets the takedown in, in a way she's kind of like what people think colby covington is like just constantly hunting for the takedown and then fucking people up on top oh but she's way better on the ground than colby covington is. yeah way more violent she does really nice ground and pound in certain positions she's not lazy at all about giving up position to try and get a better one like in one of her fights she straight up has the back and then just gets off the back because she wants to hunt for a different submission because she feels the choke isn't there and there isn't many ground and pound options and then just kind of lets her opponents uh, dive at her hips and she sprawls on her and starts fucking her up from there and then takes the back again. So she she has like a lot of grit and fucks people up uh, with her grappling and I feel like that could be annoying for uh, for Stamp. Stamp hasn't fought someone that is as good at grappling. Like, just, like, overall? Yeah, in a way, I feel like this is a more technical and athletic rerun of Stamp's last fight against Ritu Fogat, who is kind of uh, the women's atomweight Darren Elkins. In in all of her fights, she just, like, eats shit in order to just get in on a takedown where she can fuck people up on the ground. And, uh, you know, Stamp very handily defended takedowns against her for a whole round. And then in the second round, pulled guard and finished her with an armbar. Well, that's not going to work against Angela Lee. I mean, it might, but it really shouldn't. And as you say, Angela Lee, she's really aggressive about getting takedowns. It feels kind of inevitable that she's going to get one against Stamp at some point. And she is violent on top. Like... She does a thing that we get really annoyed at a lot of MMA fighters for not doing, which is taking available targets. You don't always have to hit the head. Like, sometimes you're in a scramble and you can just elbow someone in the ribs from a weird angle and just take it because it sucks. You're not going to finish someone instantly with it, but just try to do damage to your opponent. Um, Because she started getting really fucked up with body shots uh, by Zhang Jingnang in their first fight which Stamp will do. She's obviously she's got a good body kick and she's always like trying to get knees when she's ten- defending takedowns. Uh, but that was like really late into a fight where Angela Lee had kind of just gotten really tired m- submitting Zhang Xinglang multiple times. 
So, um, yeah, this fight has ended up being so much more interesting than I thought it was on the surface. It's like a fight that we wouldn't have talked about at all if it wasn't for all the stuff that's uh, lower down on this card. But uh, I, th- I think it should be a banger. Yeah, and Stamps made a lot of uh, advances in her grappling since the last time we saw her against someone that would be able to like push her on the ground. Because so far, Stamps been fighting people that she's either physically able to outmatch in some regard normally uh hip strength and like core strength regards like just much much more of an athlete uh but we'll actually see her on the defensive in the grappling more this fight pretty much guaranteed yeah i mean uh, to that point in her first fight in in the uh atom weight tournament which she ended up winning to uh secure this title shot she avenged her loss to aliona rasahina who uh submitted her in the first fight and then the second fight was a lot closer, but she obviously showed the developments that she had made in her grappling defensively to be able to hang in a matchup that she wasn't able to win previously, uh, purely just on a level of skill development. So if that's continued, then she really might be in this fight. But you have to think just with the uh, experience differential when it comes to the grappling, uh, and it should be a lock for Angela Lee. Yeah, and I, I think that Stamp is... a better grappler than Angela Lee as a striker, but I'm not sure that's going to really work out that well for Stamp. Yeah, because as you say, it seems like Angela Lee is just going to get the takedown at some point, and when she does, we could see some cool and violent scrambles, or it could be Stamp just getting submitted like with the quickness. Yeah, I could see Stamp maybe hanging in for a, a while and extending the fight late. It's possible that Stamp's made a lot of strides in her uh, defensive grappling as well as her offensive but it so far it seemed that she largely relies on just being able to submit people or sweep them really well with uh, the threat of a submission at least. So like her her form of defense on the ground is pretty good offense, which is fair enough. That's definitely a good way to go about it, and it it could give her some early success. But Angela's like just really tight on the ground, and even in uh, like standing grappling positions, she's not inert. She she can definitely find takedowns while Stamp's going for knees in the clinch, or or elbows. And Stamp is willing to kind of sell out for offense in some regards, which give up her hips, but she just has the hip strength to kind of get out of it a lot of the time. But Angela Lee's takedown selection, being like body lock trips and you know like sitting back and then trying to sweep, that could cause a lot of problems for the way that Stamp likes to defend takedowns. But I'm excited for it. I think I'm going to pick Angela Lee by third round submission. Well, even though I just pointed out all the reasons why that is the easy pick, uh, I'm going to pick Stamp by body kick knockout in the second round. Love that. Because those are the kind of picks we'd be making on this show. Okay, and then... So, if one championship's entire goal or entire niche as an organization has been just bringing back the glory of the weird old JMMA scene, all the weird freak show matchups and cool shit that we used to get back then. This co-main event is truly living up to that. We've got Demetrius Johnson versus Rod Tangji at Magnon. Uh, Demetrius Johnson, I'm sure you're all familiar with, is maybe the greatest mixed martial artist of all time. At least one of the most skilled. I, I will throw down with anyone who says he isn't top three. Of course, a little bit in his twilight years, ended up losing his uh, just unprecedented UFC title streak uh, in what most people agree was a robbery split decision against Henry Cejudo. The, uh, instead of avenging, he just got traded to 1FC for Ben Askren, which, you know, was worth it, I guess. Uh, where he would then go on to win the uh, flyweight Grand Prix before being brutally knocked out for the first time in his career against Adriano Moraes in his last fight. And now um, he's in a mixed rules fight with uh, Rod Tag. One championship's biggest Muay Thai star. Also a legit top pound-for-pound talent in stadium Muay Thai. And they're doing alternating rounds of Muay Thai and MMA, starting with Muay Thai. So, So pretty much the consensus on this one is, can DJ... Uh, run away for the whole first round and not get finished in order to be able to submit Rod Tang with literally anything he wants in the second round. Yeah, and the dynamic is pretty much exactly as simple as that. 
Uh, we'll get a little bit more into it, but first I would like us to pick what meme sub DJ is definitely going to get within the first 15 seconds of the second round. Okay, so I've really been feeling a crooked neck scissor. Okay. Like some old school catch wrestling shit. Like I want DJ to shout out Minoru Suzuki after this sub. Okay, I think DJ is going to get an inverted twister. And in case anyone is wondering how you do that, just wait. You'll see. Yeah, it is very possible that it, you we're not even going to be able to pick the sub because it's a completely new sub that nobody's ever seen before that DJ invents specifically for this matchup. Yeah, just to flex. Uh, and then into the actual matchup, uh, would you like to talk about how uh, DJ has the tools on the back foot to kind of nullify Rod Tang pressuring forward and be able to stall out a first round? Yeah, I mean, pretty much that, because Rod Tang has never really been an effective cage cutter. Um, his bread and butter is as an aggressive counterpuncher, but it kind of it really still requires people to give him extended exchanges that he wants in order to be able to find those counter opportunities. And particularly now in 1FC, fighting in a gigantic circular cage... Um, Rod Tang's just always had trouble tracking people down. And as I say, even in his elite wins against uh, someone like Gaonar in Stadium Muay Thai, uh, that was a guy who kind of just agreed to maintain a certain range with Rod Tang where they would have extended exchanges because, to be fair, Gaonar had won that fight previously and Rod Tang had just made the adjustments to be able to find big counters deep into those exchanges. But it still seems like kind of bad brain thinking from Gaonar to not just do what Runkit did against Rod Tang as the uh, longer, more mobile guy with the kicking advantage, which is just to like run away and teep and jab. And then not to mention DJ's like wrestling instincts that could kind of come into play a lot of the time if uh, they tie up. DJ m may have a pronounced strength advantage despite probably being a bit smaller. I could see him just getting under Rod Tang's punches and then clinching with him and, you know, delaying the round until he can get to the second round. You know, it would be wild if DJ went for some crazy shit and actually tried to win in the first round, but I just don't expect it. And that it would be uncharacteristic of him. Oh yeah, but there's no, there's no reason for him to, because he has the foot speed advantage and, and Rod Tang is just, he just has trouble making exchanges with someone who just refuses to willingly exchange with him. So, um, fun freak show fight, uh, but it seems like a pretty easy pick. Like, we really have no idea what the situation is with Rod Tang's MMA training, but there's absolutely no reason to expect him to be able to hang on the ground with Demetrius Johnson for any amount of time. And there's not much of a reason to expect him to knock Demetrius out cold in the first round either. Yeah, if he were to knock out DJ, I guess it would be like an uppercut. <laughs> I guess. But I don't see DJ really given many opportunities to be uppercutted. But then there's also the fact that DJ has insane recovery, and the one time he has been knocked out is because he got like flying need on the ground while trying to stand up from, after getting dropped. If, from from getting dropped from an uppercut. Um, but the problem is, if Rod Tank drops him in the Muay Thai round, the DJ is going to get a ten count. He has, to, he has to knock him out cold or drop him like multiple times, you know, or, or just swarm him against the cage, which is not really his thing. That being said, it would be kind of ill if Rod Tang dropped him in the MMA round and then finished him with knees on the ground. Yeah, or, or he just guillotines him. That'd be really wacky. Uh, maybe he beats DJ up so hard in the first that by the second, uh, DJ is just a shell of himself. He just gets guillotined. Yeah, yeah, or just doesn't have the ability to get a takedown. But honestly, like I, I've seen, I've I've seen Rod Tang get like double legged into mount in Muay Thai, where that's not even like allowed. So like, yeah, he's not prepared for it, but he had he. I've just seen, like he just flat out is like, oh, I'm in bottom side control now because of like a, a weird uh, scramble on the feet. Like, we've never seen him grapple at all. Why would we expect him to be remotely competent at it? But this matchup's sick. I'm excited for it. It's going to be wacky. I mean, I was more excited to talk about it. I feel like it's going to be really stupid. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm down with it. Like, this, this, is what, this is what we have Asian MMA for. 
look, could, could you could you even sanction this like in the U.S.? No, it'd be too weird to do the rule set. Like, because I think this is gonna go on someone's record for the fight. But, but I, is it? Like, it, it's also an ex- exhibition. Do, it's do, weird. Do, what does it go on DJ's MMA record and Rod Tang's Muay Thai record? Doesn't what? <laughs> it would be hilarious if they have it structured so that if whoever wins in the first round, it goes in their Muay Thai record, and whoever wins in the second round, it goes in their MMA record. Anyway, let's let's go, Demetrius. I hope you got paid shitloads of money for this. <laughs> And then, uh, weirdly, underneath this on the card, the DJ Destroyer, Adriana Marias, is fighting Yuya Wakamatsu. Um, I don't really have a ton to say about this matchup because I just I'm not too deeply familiar with either fighter. Adriana Marias is a ton of fun. Like uh, the first time I had seen him was in the fight where he where he knocked Demetrius Johnson out. Um, but I didn't realize that he's like uh, an insane scramble submission guy. So that's a fun one to look out for. So. Shinya Aoki's fighting Yoshihiro Akiyama. He'll probably submit him. That's fun. John Wayne Parr is fighting Edward Foliang in Muay Thai rules. That's fucking cursed. Yeah, Foliang is going to be Lark. Mm, yeah. John Wayne Parr, you know, he's like a Muay Thai legend and he's completely shot, retired because he had to have hip surgery. Came back because one championship offered him big money. He just got dusted by Nicky Holskin. Looks like looked like an absolute shell of himself. Uh, so that's probably going to be quite sad. Um, I really don't want to see John Wayne Park get knocked out by an MMA fighter. That'd be fucking whack. But that's what I'm picking. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but then the two really meaningful matchups on this card. The real reason why we're actually talking about it. Superbon fighting Marat Gregorian and Sitichai is fighting Chingas Alazov. Uh, Marat Gregorian uh, made a genius play where he managed to completely avoid having to finish the tournament because he was supposed to fight Chingas Alazov in the second round, but then pulled out to injury where Chingas Alazov instead fought Joe Natawat and just completely destroyed him. And um, because it's taken them so long to get this tournament done, and Superbomb was obviously going to want to take a fight before the tournament winner was ready. And Marat Gregorian already has a win over Superbon by devastating knockout in the first 30 seconds. So uh, instead of having to finish the tournament where he would have just lost to Sitachai again, he is rematching Superbon. And this is a really hard one for me to figure out. Um, Because... If I were going into it having not seen the first fight, I would just be like, oh yeah, Superbon's really mobile, he's got a kicking advantage, he's really fast, he's also no slouch in the pocket, he's really good at smothering offense with clinch entries, I uh, kind of should just be able to like tool Marat up from the outside. Oh, but I've seen Marat Gregorian knock Superbon completely dead within a minute. So, uh, fuck, I don't know. Yeah, this is a hard fight to say a lot about because we really just got to see it to, to like know what happens. We do. It could be the exact same thing. I mean, Marat, he is one of the one of the biggest power punches in this division and he is a very dedicated pressure fighter. You know, it wasn't a weird fluky way that he knocked Superbon out. He got him to the ropes where Superbon threw back when he was just kind of out of position and he got fucking clobbered by a counter. And that could absolutely happen again. Uh, Superbon has still been making improvements since then. And this fight is, of course, in the big old circular cage. There's no corners. And it's fucking huge. So the more mobile guy who wants to outfight is pretty much just going to have the advantage in that situation. But, but like you say, I, we... We just got to see this one play out. Because it really is just like, oh yeah, Superbon should just like kick Morat up from miles away, but he might get knocked out. Because Superbon also, he's a great defensive technician, but he doesn't appear to have the most durable chin. And he'll throw back, uh, sometimes in a bit of risky situations, because he, he likes to find really like pinpoint counters with his hands. That if he misses, then he's in kind of a poor position. 
Yeah, that was exactly it. It was like in that situation, he should have been clinching up. And he just like uh, threw a high kick while he was super out of position and just, yeah, just got cracked and died. So yeah, I'm really excited for this matchup. It, it's just one that has been clear that it's needed to happen in kickboxing for a while. I mainly just wanted to talk about it for people who aren't, for people who listen to the podcast who aren't familiar with kickboxing, who might be interested in that and wanted some context for the fight. And so then we've also got Sitachai fighting Chinkas Alazov for the for the final of the 70 kilos kickboxing tournament. <clears throat> and um, this is also a rematch, which is really convenient for just doing tape for kickboxing because pretty much every fight that ever gets made has already happened at some point. And it was a good while ago, but um, it was also kind of exactly what you would expect. Uh, Chingiz Alazov, he's a really dynamic like combination switch hitter, um, but he's also a really good counterpuncher, and he uses his combinations to like find counterpunches deep into exchanges. Like He'll just throw like a four-punch combination, ending with a shifting high kick, and then as his opponent tries to throw back, he'll just like slide off to an angle and knock him out with a single counter. And Sitchai, as we've talked about before, is just the classic consummate, prof- consummate professional southpaw. He's all just about his southpaw triple attack, defensive open stance jab, and defensive teeps. And he's great at building all of the offense on his left side off of each other, as well as playing that off of his great uh, jab and right hook. And he's just incredibly defensively tight. Like he has a very adaptive guard and will we'll use different types of guards depending on range and context. Doesn't make overly exaggerated uh, defensive maneuvers that, that, ma- that make it possible to make big collisions on him, to create big counters. It's really hard to get past uh, his jab and kicks. And w- when you do, he's really good at smothering pocket offense with clinches. So he's just really just able to dictate all of the terms of the exchanges and keep fights in the ranges where he's comfortable uh, at navigating different kinds of style matchups. I mean, he has a loss to Marat Gregorian in, I think, their fifth or sixth fight after he had just completely tooled up Marat for four, four, <laughs> their four or five fights before that. Took him that long to find an opening on him and drop him. Uh, but something that is also often underrated about consummate technicians is that Sitachai is one of the hardest motherfuckers to ever live. He's got an iron chin, so even if you are able to get past this incredibly tight defense, um, he's kind of just able to eat the shot. So pretty much the only other guy to beat him recently uh, was Superbond because that's pretty much the only guy who's able to uh, maintain that long-range kicking battle with Sitachai because everyone else just has to wade into the pocket and get past the kicks and that jab and then just gets clinched up and need a couple times and then the back out of range. Sitachai's a fighter that I watch and I'm like, how do you beat this man? He has losses on his record, but it's just such a difficult style to navigate. And Chingaz Alazov, dangerous as fuck. He's really fast and he has been just wiping guys out a lot recently. It would be genuinely shocking if that were to just suddenly happen to Sitachai. But, you know, this is the sport where that kind of shit happens. Yeah, I think the best way to do analysis for this fight is to watch the first fight and then imagine both of them not really changing at all, but just getting gradually improved at what they were already doing about at the same rate and then have them fight again a little bit later. And then you're going to get the same fight just with it being better. So I'm excited for it. Yeah, definitely. Should be a good one. And uh, whatever the finals match ends up being, uh, I'm excited for it. Even though there's a good chance that it's just uh, Seachai versus Marat Gregorian. 17. And then just a couple more fights to mention on that one. Uh, Nongo Gayang Hidal is fighting Felipe Lobo. Uh, Nongo is an all-time great Muay Thai fighter. I think multiple-time Lumpini champion and Lumpini stadium fighter of the year wins over pretty much all of the most heralded uh, fighters of his generation. Singdam, Sagat Dao, Pet Bunchu, Sanchai. Um, then he 
took a few years off uh, after he stopped fighting in the stadiums and is now just just chilling in in one FC. It's really cool that uh, one is an organization that's just able to like kind of uh, give a home to a past prime legend like Nongo, and for him to be well respected and getting good paydays to still be fighting. And uh, even though he's definitely in his autumn years, he still looks absolutely fantastic in all of his fights. He's another guy who does it for the short kings, pretty much because if you're at his level in Muay Thai, you're going to get forced to go up in weight because nobody at your weight class is going to be able to beat you. He's a fantastic boxer. He's got a really nice jab that he builds all of his offense off of. He's really good at both using his boxing combinations to set up kicks and countering his opponent's kicks to get counter combinations off with his hands. And he's a fucking huge puncher for a, just a small, unassuming guy. He's fighting Felipe Lobo, who's a decent international guy from the Brazilian circuit. He's pretty long and tall and fast. Uh, he's pretty good at, as we were talking about earlier, like pressuring into getting his opponents to kick while out of position so that he can get combinations off. Uh, but that's like Nongo's whole thing is finding ways to box up tall guys who are trying to kick the shit out of him. So even against a a fast dude with a reach advantage, somebody who's giving Nongo pocket exchanges that he wants is probably going to get fucking killed at some point. I mainly just wanted an opportunity to talk about Nongo because he's an all-time great who you should get an opportunity to see and hopefully should be turning in uh, another great post-prime performance. Yeah, I don't have very much to say about the matchup uh, because, you know, there's only so much analysis to be done on a guy that's had, like, six billion fights. Like, his style is kind of known at this point, uh, and we kind of know what we're going to get. It's going to be Nongo, like, trying to outclass uh, Lobo, and I think that's what's going to happen. I'm going to pick Nongo by third round KO. Just another fight that I wish we could get in the ropes because when we were watching tape on Nongo, we were just seeing him do some of the craftiest, like environmental stuff I've ever seen in fighting. Like there's one where he goes to lean back out of range of a high kick, but realizes that he doesn't like have the spine flexibility to quite get out of range, but also realizes that, a ro- that the ropes are behind him. So he just like falls straight back and bounces off the ropes to avoid a high kick. There's also one where he does the, the classic Muay Thai uh, push a guy while he's off balance kicking to bounce him off the ropes into a high kick, but the guy's like a foot taller than him. So he does like a Superman elbow instead of a high kick as the guy bounces off the ropes. He's an absolute treasure. And uh, you should take this opportunity to watch him. And uh, last one, Capitan Pechi and D defending his kickboxing title against uh, Hiroki Akimoto, another former stadium champion from Muay Thai who, who's come over and is now competing in the kickboxing rule set in one championship. And he's a really fun, just relentless pressure fighter uh, who's really uh, adapted his style of pressure fighting to fighting in the big old circular cage where he realizes that he's just not going to be able to pin people down in positions for extended periods of time. So he's satisfied with just having his opponent constantly moving away from him and taking his opportunities to cut someone off when he gets an opportunity, knowing he's going to get them back there and that that style is just going to keep wearing on it on his opponent and, and that that's going to make it easy easier as the fight goes deep to just like walk them down and fuck them up and cut them off with body shots and kicks as they're running away from him. And he's fucking fighting uh, Hiroki Ak- Akimoto, who's a really fun, like flashy switch-hitting guy off of the Japanese scene. Yeah, a fun dynamic in the fight is Akimoto is uh, very good at uh, like maintaining his stance and not getting pushed back too hard. Capitan is on the other hand, very good at pushing people back. So that'll be fun to see how that shakes out. But I think I'm going to pick Capitan by uh, either attrition finish, late, or decision. Yeah, Akimoto is decent with his lateral movement and like will stand his ground uh, more than some of the opponents that we've seen Capitan against in one championship. And I do wonder if um, the pace of a five-round kickboxing fight can wear on Capitan somewhat if he's not able to get a finish because famously Muay Thai fighters will 
a fight at a lower pace and not sit down as much on stuff in the first two rounds. And like he he's adapted his style really well to this new rule set and he knows that he can't just give away early rounds in this rule set and that he needs to be going hard from the first bell. So yeah, Fakamoto can hang in there. He's really fast and he's really sneaky about setting up strikes off of combinations that are switching sides as he's blitzing. Like, you know, classic blitzy karate shit. Um, but I think just the the kind of style that Capitan has just generally favors him as a fight goes deep, even if he can somewhat become a victim of that pace, particularly because he's really small for this division. He's all, almost pretty much always uh, outsized against his opponents in one. Another one that we just wanted to mention because we think it should be a really fun fight and it might be flying under the radar for a lot of you guys. So yeah, holy fuck. This is a long episode and uh, hopefully you should give us some more interesting stuff to talk about next week. See, so you can also catch us next week where we'll be previewing UFC 273, headlined by Alexander Volkanovsky versus the Korean Zombie for the featherweight title and the rematch between Aljamain Sterling and Pete Yan for the undisputed bantamweight title. That should be a really exciting one. Hoping we can get a guest on for that one. So yeah, we'll see you then. Peace. Later.